This is Power Lunch, exclusively on Lightning Power Play via the iHeartRadio app. Boot drive in front, point, score, score, Braden Point again, and the Lightning win it, they win the series, they win game five, five four in overtime. Wow. All right, I'm going to tell you something right here. It's a lot easier to win a series if you're tied at 1 than down 0-2. I know, I know, call me Captain Obvious, but it speaks the truth. The Tampa Bay Lightning have an important game tonight. You go down 0-2 to the Boston Bruins with that team this year, it's a little bit different than a couple of years ago when the Lightning came back in 1-5 after dropping the first game. Doesn't mean they can't come back if they go down 0-2. The Lightning arguably have one of the top two or three most talented rosters in the league. But so does Boston. And if Boston goes up 2-0, statistically speaking, it doesn't bode well for any team. And of course, in this example, would be the Tampa Bay Lightning. Do I think that's going to happen? No. I like the Lightning tonight. I'll give you my reasons as the show progresses. But let me bring in Steve Ersnick. Dave Mishkin, by the way, will be joining us in the next segment. Mish, of course, is my co-host for Power Lunch. But he's doing the morning skate right now. He's a big TV star right now. Yeah, big TV star. I hope his hair. I hope his hair is looking good. And Eric Erlinson from LightningInsider.com will join us in the next segment as well. So the three of us will be breaking it down along with Steve, and we hope you stay for that. But Steve, it's not only going down 0-2 that should have Lightning fans a bit concerned in terms of what does this game mean tonight, but it's something you brought up to me before the show that made a lot of sense and probably speaks to the urgency of getting a win tonight because of circumstances. Well, you go down 0-2, and less than 24 hours later, you've got to play game three where you could be down 0-3 because Incredible. of the back-to-backs in between game two and three of the series. And so I, I think, you know, even if you split the two, then you're down 2-1 after three. That's doable. But to be down 0-2 going into a must, you know, as close to a must win as you can get against the team that won the President's Trophy – and the thought of going down 0-3, I think you really want to take care of tonight's game. You do. And listen, we're not saying anything that the Tampa Bay Lightning don't know, or even that the Boston Bruins don't know. The Boston, they understand they go up 2-0, they're going to be in a really good position. The Lightning understand that, all right, you even up 1-1. You know, then you start having some thoughts about what happened a couple of years ago, and, you know, the Lightning maybe taking a punch in that first game, but then regrouping and, and really playing well. I don't think the Lightning win this series in five. I think Boston's a better team than the one we saw two years ago. I think Tampa Bay is a better team than the one we saw two years ago. But that being said, I, I kind of go back to this, Steve, the, the topic we hit on a little bit yesterday, and that is the fact that Steven Stamkos doesn't seem like he's playing in this series is a big deal. I mean, that's like taking... Brad Marchand out of the lineup for the Bruins or Patrice Bergeron. This is an elite player. 
And I understand nobody's going to feel sorry for the Lightning because teams go through injuries, even ones that have had a long break. But I feel like that's a really big deal that... I don't know if it's arrogance on our part because we're looking at the Lightning and saying they're so deep they can even overcome Steven Stamkos not being in the lineup for the playoffs, or if it's something else. But I feel like it's something that can't be ignored because that is a guy who, let's face it, can help on the power play, and that right now is a big problem. Well, and I'll go a step further. that Everyone talks about the power play and the loss of Steven Stamkos, and that hurts in a lot of different areas. One, you don't have someone from that dot that can that can scare you as a goalie in a defense, which means everyone slides towards Kucherov, including a lot of the Lightning players trying to get the puck to Kucherov, whether it's Sergachev at the point or the other guys, because he's obviously the most dangerous on your power play. Right. But I think where Stamkos' loss may hurt even more than that is on the face-off circle, particularly when you're playing someone like Patrice Bergeron, who's really good in the face-off circle. That Stamkos quietly, because it's not talked about a lot, but over the last few seasons has become really good in the face-off dot. He wasn't always that way. And he has worked hard on it, and that, which is why Mitchell Stevens slots in so much, is because they don't have a lot of right-handed face-off guys that, that do it really well. I mean, Stamkos is the best on the team. Stevens may be next. As yeah. far as how, you know, the, the ones you can count on on a penalty. I mean, Steven Stamkos plays the penalty kill specifically for the faceoff because the goal is to win the faceoff and get off the ice. They don't want him to stay out there for long. Sure. Not that he can't do it, but it's, you're saving him for offense and a lot of other things. And you have better penalty killers. But the faceoff dot has been a problem in several games in the Columbus series. And it was, it, it was a problem on Monday night or uh, Sunday night as well against Boston is you didn't do as well as you'd like in the fa- you know every power play you're missing Stamkos but when you lose that face off and you have to bring the puck up and then we know the Lightning had a problem with the entry at times that face off is is very important and you're missing Stamkos there maybe even more importantly than just that shot on the power play Yeah and you know I didn't really see that coming with Lightning and and maybe you can directly attribute it to Steven Stamkos not being in the lineup maybe that's something that we need to be aware of. I I really didn't anticipate them struggling as much as they are. But then again, Steve, they were, what, 19th in the league in face-off percentage mm-hmm. this year at 46%, which, you know, looks can be a bit deceiving because you take a look at the guys they have on that, on that team and you feel pretty good that they're going to hold their own in that department. So maybe it shouldn't come as a surprise, but for whatever reason, it, it feels like it, it should. But one of the things Dave and Phil talk about a lot, and, and others too, but I, and they do, it's not so much your face-off win percentage, it's when you win the face-offs. Mm-hmm. You lose a neutral zone face-off, okay. It's power play and penalty kill. Yeah. Or offensive zone face-offs and defensive zone face-offs. When do you win those face-offs? Because you lose one at center ice or, you know, in, in, you know, and, and off of you know, and offsides, and it's outside the blue line. Okay, you lose it. It's not you're not you're not in harm's way immediately. Power play and, and penalty kill. Either you're putting someone in harm's way, or you're in harm's way if you lose that face off right away. And you know, it, it, it's it, it, how many times does Patrice Bergeron lose a face off on the power play? Doesn't happen often. Sure. You know, his percentage is high fifties usually every year, maybe even to low sixties at times. But I bet you if you looked at the power play percentage, I bet it's higher. 
I haven't done it, but from the eye test and when I watch Boston, it seems like he never loses a face-off on the power play. And that helps their power play be so powerful and potent because they're in the offensive zone right away in a dangerous position. It's a good point, and if you want to react to it, you can at Greg Linnelli or at Bolts Radio. It is Power Lunch. What do you make of the game tonight? Do you feel like going down 0-2? Is that... I don't want to say it for Tampa Bay. You feel like the odds of them coming back are very small. And conversely, they tie this thing up at one. What do you make of that scenario moving forward? And as Steve brought up, and it's a good point, you've got back-to-back games coming up. It's something that you rarely see in the playoffs. Steve, I can't remember the last time that happened. And again, I go back to the coaches being asked this before game one, and you could tell Cassidy was kind of taken aback, almost protecting himself that, if his team got mm-hmm. into a hole, he could use that as an excuse as to why they're facing some adversity. The only good thing about that situation is both teams are, are dealing with it. I seem to remember – I remember there was – in the Stanley Cup against Chicago, I believe there was a back-to-back. And it was all based on arena scheduling. Yeah. And, and that's why the Garth Brooks concert had to move from Amelie Arena, if I recall. I could be wrong, but I, there's been a time or two, but it's not. It's it's usually because of arena dates and concerts. I remember the Lightning being playing in the Islanders one series, and they had to take two games off in between because Justin Bieber was playing. So the Lightning oh, ended up goodness. playing like Monday and Thursday in New York. It was like games three and four up there, I think, and, and there was a Justin Bieber concert at the Barclays Center for games three and four, or between three and four, so it had to take an extra day. You know, that happens occasionally in the playoffs, but it's not a regular thing, particularly twice in a series, which is scheduled if this one goes seven games. Did you go to that concert? I was in New York, so. That doesn't matter. A lot of the players did. <laughs> well, they are the, the same age. Yeah, well, exactly. Some of them I are, mean, right? <laughs> They're kind of in that same, same point. Am I old? I, I, did, laugh at, I did laugh at there was a lot of hosts on sports radio making fun of the players for going to the concert. Yes. Because it's, you know, Justin Bieber. And I'm like, you just sound like Grandpa yelling, get off my lawn. You do. Because the players really are do. Justin Bieber. That's that's their yeah. generation. Those are their yeah. singers. It is. You know, whatever age you are, a lot of the singers you liked and loved the most are going to be close to your age or maybe a few years older where, you know, they're singing and you're in high school. You know, that's what those that's what Bieber is to the, to the players at back then. And that was several years ago. But, yeah. It's incredible how things change. We'll have to bring it up to Mish. I think Mish knows who Justin Bieber is. Who? He should. He has kids. He what has about, kids what about teams, Phil? Right? You think Espo knows? Who? <laughs> really? Do you, think he would, do you think he would comment on Bieber's hair when it was long? <laughs> really? Before he cut it? <laughs> One of the great lines. Someday we'll let people know what that was all about, but that would That'll be, be in our book. It will be in our book, which will be a great read and a bestseller for sure. Uh, in terms of McDonough and that situation, that's going to be closer to game time, I would think. I, I don't want to speculate too, too much on what they're going to do, but I will say this. I think, Steve, they probably stay with the righty-lefty combination. Now, whether you move guys around uh, because McDonough's out to play with Chernak, we could certainly see that. But I think, for me, they're going to stay with that righty-lefty combination because that's what we've seen in the past. Yeah, I would think Coburn would slot in at that point. Now, whether... Coburn plays with maybe Bogosian, yeah. and Chernak moves up to play with Hedman. That that could happen in, in that scenario, possibly. Or even Sergachev plays with with Chernak, and and Coburn plays with Shattenkirk. You know, something like that. But I would think it would be Coburn slotting in, not Ruda, who we're not even sure if he's one hundred percent healthy, or sure. Luke Shen. So, 
Yeah, and I, I think they probably want to keep, if they can, Bogosian with Hedman for you know, a couple of different reasons, but I, I think that may make sense. And, you know, look, it's a shame that a guy like Jan Ruta, if he's still maybe not fully 100%, can't crack the lineup when something like this happens, even if it, it throws out a whack the, the righty-lefty combination because he was playing at a pretty high level. But that is something we will see as we get a little closer. Now, Steve, we have, before we take a break, We've got a jam-packed pregame leading into the game, correct? We've got Kayla Chelios and Brian Burns. The pregame skate. That starts the at 6 o'clock. Yep. That'll be at 6. Yeah, we'll replay and Power Lunch at 5 o'clock right before that. So love this. I mean, where else are you going to get all of this lightning content? This is going to be a lot of fun. Now, that's all on News Radio WFLA as well, right, Steve? Starting at, six. Starting at 6. Starting yeah, at 6. Pregame skate, yes. Right. 6.30, then we'll have the pregame show, and then that'll lead into Dave and Phil with the game call. And then we've got the last call afterwards. And I'll be hosting that, and I think Jason Cullimore will be with me as well. If not, it will be somebody, and we will talk hockey, and hopefully it is a lightning W. But we're going to take a break. When we come back, we'll talk to Dave Michigan and Eric Erlinson. Michigan was doing the morning skate for Fox Sports Sun, and he's uh, running over right now. I see him. He's running over right now, fixing that hair. He's going to be joining us with Eric, and we'll talk a little bit more about Game 2. It is Power Lunch right here on Lightning Power Play. An hour of hockey talk to get you through social distancing. This is Power Lunch on Lightning Power Play. So glad you're with us. Greg Linnelli with you. It is a game night. Thanks for Tuning us in. Appreciate that. Steve Ersnick with me in that first segment and joining me right now, as we said before, he was doing a little morning skates, even though this is radio. I'm sure he was uh, looking good. Dave Mishkin, the radio voice of the Lightning. He was doing the morning skate show over on Fox Sports Sun. Mish, great to be with you. Glad you're back here with us. Yes, you do need to qualify that. I was doing the morning skate show. Definitely not the morning skate. <laughs> those, <laughs> well, if you were doing that. Those uh, that responsibilities are way out of my comfort zone. <laughs> That's a good point. And we covered some ground there in that first segment. I want to bring you in. We do have some breaking news. It looks like Ryan McDonough will be out of the lineup tonight. We had speculated that, but that word just broke a, a few minutes ago. And uh, Eric Rollinson from LightningInsider.com will be joining us here in just a little bit. But, Dave, let's get some initial thoughts here with McDonough being out and already playing without Steven Stamkos. Injuries are part of the process, particularly in the playoffs. We know that the back end is a position that has been solidified a bit more uh, this year than in previous years. I know Julian Breezewa has been very complimentary of that group. It goes nine deep, and... They're certainly going to have to dip into the reserves tonight against the Bruins in game two. Yeah, John Cooper said you'll have to watch tonight and find out who's going to be in for McDonough. It could be Braden Colburn. It sounds like Jan Ruud is still unfit to play. We haven't heard that he is no longer unfit to play. But if that's the case, then you've got Colburn or Luke Shen or maybe both. And we talked about this Yesterday, Greg, on Power Lunch, the Lightning could go with a lineup of 11 forwards and 7 defensemen, understanding this is the front end of a back-to-back. Maybe they don't do that tonight and they see how tonight goes, and they could come back with 11 and 7 tomorrow. So they do have some options as far as how they want to construct their lineup. But taking McDonough out, 
he and Chernak have seen really the bulk of the the top forward line in terms of matchups, both in the Columbus series and in game one of this series. So the question now becomes who will play with Chernak and what will the, the pairs look like and which pair will see the bulk of the Bergeron line. And maybe it's going to be by committee. Maybe all the pairs will will kind of share that responsibility equally, but maybe not. And the Lightning do have the benefit of the last change because they are the quote-unquote home team for game two tonight. So we'll see how that plays out. But losing McDonough, even if it's only for one game, and hopefully it is only for one game, that is a significant loss, and the Lightning are going to have to figure out a way to make up for his absence. Yeah, Kevin Shattenkirk talked about McDonough yesterday and being put in all different types of situations, goes unheralded, and that is certainly going to be a big loss. But we have talked about the depth that they have on the back end, and whoever comes in, Dave, is probably going to look at this, and I would take it as an opportunity to open up some eyes and and really make a difference because, as you know, during the Stanley Cup run back in 04, Tampa Bay had to shuffle some things on the back end. I know Jason Cullimore, our, uh, our favorite, one of our favorite uh, guests, he'll join me during the last call, was a guy that was injured. And, and certain guys had to come in and step up. And I think that's what's fun about sports, Dave, is you don't know how guys are going to react to a situation where – they are presented with an opportunity to make an impact. And the great thing about the Lightning situation is all of those guys who are waiting for an opportunity to get in are veterans. So I'm not sure you have to worry too much about being mentally prepared and uh, what they've done off the ice to get ready for this type of situation. And I think that does give John Cooper some solid options. And I think an opportunity for those veterans, whoever it is, to, to come in and really play well. And I would think that is the expectation coming in to a, a game like this today. You do remember in the many shows that we did leading into the return to play, and particularly in Phase 3 when they had started practicing, the teams had started practicing, but they had not yet gotten to the Hub Cities, we spent a lot of time talking about how the Lightning and some of these other round-robin teams would construct their lineup in the round-robin games and the question was, would you try and get as many guys in as possible, understanding that you might need them at some point down the road? And the Lightning did switch up Ruda and Bogosian for one game, the Boston round-robin game. But that was the only game Ruda has played, and Coburn and Shen have not yet played. So they did not get into a round-robin game. And now is the situation that, is occurring that led us to speculate about how the Lightning would want to structure their lineup. So it's it's probably not the most positive of situations that they didn't get into a round-robin game, whoever is coming in tonight, assuming it's one of the two, if not both. But offsetting that, I think, is the point that you made, which is both guys are veteran veterans. Both guys have played a lot of hockey. Both guys do have playoff experience. And... They know what it takes to come into a situation like this and do what is asked of them. So now it just comes down to getting the opportunity, like you talked about, and trying to execute best you can, understanding that you have not played in a game of any kind since the blue-white scrimmages back in Tampa and going back before that, a quote-unquote real game since March or earlier. So 
that's the challenge for both those guys, certainly the one who comes in. And, again, we don't know if the Lightning will go with seven defensemen, and we'll see how they handle it. Let's bring in Eric Erlinson from lightninginsider.com. He is with us, and he also has a new podcast out, which make sure you listen to. We'll make sure we promote that with our good friend, E. And, E, it's great to be with you, bud. And, look, we talk about adversity all the time, and certainly the Lightning are facing it right now with Stamkos being out, McDonough being out, and being down 0-1. Doesn't mean the series is over, but certainly backs against the wall just a bit, isn't it? It is, especially when you start to factor in there's back-to-backs. I mean, there's another game tomorrow night. So there's, you know, I think it puts a little extra emphasis on, on what happens tonight. I mean, you're you're either 1-1 or, or down 0-2 going to a game tomorrow night. So it, it is big. Um, and then uh, just to kind of touch on, on Dave's point there, uh, remember Coburn and Shen actually did get into the exhibition game against the Florida Panthers. You're right, just Eric. D for that game. So at least they have that under the belt. They didn't get much time. I think they played maybe eight, ten minutes in that game as they rotated through the, the four pairs in that game. Um, but, yeah, I, that's a huge loss. I don't think we can understate just how big of a loss Ryan McDonough's absence is going to be. And it's weird because, you know, went back and looked at basically every shift to his from the second period on, didn't see anything. Didn't see anything that kind of made you think – Okay, that's why he left. That's why he left. Other than to on that last shift, he just kind of looked like he just wasn't skating comfortably, and um, you know, and you would have to think too if he's not available to play tonight. What's that mean for tomorrow? That's well, you're point. right, and and kind of piggybacking on Greg's question, Eric. How do you see the Lightning working the D pair? situations tonight specifically who sees the bulk of the Bergeron line well you'd have to think that Sergachev's uh, responsibilities uh, he takes on a lot of those we saw him do that uh, during the regular season when Victor Hedman missed some time and when McDonald was out with that fractured foot Um, so he, he gets elevated it, it makes the most sense to go lefty for lefty, right? If you're without McDonough, then you bring in Braden Coburn, who's a lefty. But, you know, Luke Shen has taken warm-ups twice, and he was the guy that was in warm-ups prior to game one against Columbus. You know, so is that their thought process there that, you know, even though you're you're losing a lefty, do you stick a righty in there in, in, in Luke Shen and, and, you know, take on some of those minutes? Uh, it, it's going to be interesting, especially when John Cooper – um, did not want to mention who was coming in or how they were doing it. But, uh, you know, you mentioned the 7D. That's a possibility as well. You know, they've kind of moved Mitchell Stevens and Carter Verhage in and out of the lineup here um, in, the, in the playoffs. Uh, I think they've each played three games at this point. So do you just, you know, go and maybe you can double shift a Nikita Kucherov. Maybe you could double shift a Braden Point uh, in some of those situations and dress 7D. I, I'm kind of intrigued by that right now. E, why did they get off to such a slow start in Game 1? Was it the early power play that had them maybe a little off-kilter there and Boston gained some momentum from that early PK? Or was it just, you know, Boston came out and they were the better team? It was very unusual to see the Lightning come out that way. And I know that they sort of had some of this during the regular season where they're a little slow to start games. But you would think in this scenario, in this situation, so familiar with the opponent, there's no reason to test those waters. You know what those waters are going to be, and they're going to be churned up pretty quickly. So I don't know why they came out 
as tentative as they did. And I think that's the kind of the word I used a lot when in watching that first period. They just looked like they weren't ready to make the right pass or make the right read. And then when they did, the pucks weren't sticking on their sticks. And, you know, they were just missing on that. I, it, it is strange to me how they did it. Um, it, it was odd to hear John Cooper say after the game that when you get a, a power play before some guys didn't even touch the ice, it's a little hard to deal with. I would think it'd be a little bit easier with the fresh ice, as we talk about a lot. But, um, you know, I don't wonder if that kind of threw them off for a little bit. Or maybe they were expecting the emotions from that game back on March the 7th to kind of boil over. Uh, unexplainable in some ways. Uh, I don't expect to see that tonight, though. Everybody who watched that game is on the same page that the Bruins carried play pretty decisively in the first period plus, and they jumped out to the 2 nothing lead about five minutes into the second period. After that, I'm curious to get your take on this because we heard from the Lightning players. We've heard from other people who have watched that game that have basically said at that point the script flipped and the Lightning played the way they want to in the final 35 minutes. Halak made some big saves, which he did. And I guess one of the NBC analysts, I'm not sure if it was Patrick Sharp or Anson Carter, I heard it from one of the guys during the morning skate show who had heard it, said if that game one had been another seven or eight minutes, the Lightning might have won it the way that they were going and putting pressure on. And I agree that the Lightning generated a lot more pressure in the final 35 minutes than they did at the start of the game. But I'm also looking at McAvoy's chance in the second. Two-on-one for Kasha with Carlo coming as the late guy. That was a chance in the second. The Marshan goal off a turnover to start the third. Marshan had another tic-tac-toe chance in the third that he put over the net. Three-on-one where Krejci can't reel the puck in in the third period, so there's no shot there, but that's another chance. Anders Bjork had a couple of good looks in the third period. So I'm curious to get your take. What did you see in the last 35 minutes? Do you feel that that was good enough for the Lightning? Like if they just go out and play that way, that will be enough? Or do they need to be even better than they were in the last 35 minutes? You can probably tell. I feel that they, they, need, to be, they need to be more structured, even though they did a lot of better things with the puck for the bulk of the second and third. They, they need to be like they were in the early stages of the Columbus series. And I know Boston is a much more dangerous team, especially with that top line. But you've got to be patient. You you can't, you know, talked about it before. The Bruins are a team that will thrive on your turnovers. And they will wait you out. And when they wait you out, they're going to find their uh, hole that you're going to give them. And they're going to take advantage of it. Uh, that, that's where the puck management has to come in. And, you know, they just they had too many opportunities where, you know, from the, the red line in, they were just – not getting pucks into where they wanted to for a consistent amount of time. They weren't getting Boston to spend time in their own end. They were trying to force things, I think, a little too much. And uh, So I think they have to be a lot better uh, than they were. I, I know that you could feel it coming, especially that second period. Uh, Halak made some, some saves or a couple of uh, in-close opportunities. You're like, how did that not go in? Well, how, how is, what is Halak doing here? So, you know, I think you need to test him some more as well. Um, but, but I think you just need to be – a lot more prudent with your approach and understand, especially that five overtime game against Columbus. I, you know, I was so impressed with how patient they were in that game. 
you know, not, it's just making sure that you're staying true to yourself. And that's the type of game they want to play. I think they need to play. And I think, especially on the early going, they were, they were expecting, I guess, a different type of opponent when, what do we hear all the time? Sometimes it's about how you play, not necessarily how other teams plays. They need to get back to being who they are in the early part of those playoffs. Eric Erlinson from lightning com joins us here on Power Lunch. Greg Linnelli along with Dave Michigan. E, I feel like not enough people are talking about, not you, but are not talking about the impact of Steven Stamkos not being in the lineup. In fact, I see people piling on about how he's injury prone. Yeah. Do you agree with that assertion? And should we be making a bigger deal about Stammer being out, especially with the power, power play struggles and the potential of not be, being very good on the faceoffs? Well, the faceoffs are an under-talked-about uh, part of it because he's a 54% guy, I think, during the regular season. We know how valuable he is on the, on the right face-off dot, especially on the penalty kill, and especially against Bergeron. Um, you know, so you're, you're definitely missing that aspect of it. There's no doubt you miss him on the power play. I mean, he's, if anything else, he's a threat over there and he can shoot the puck and, you know, they just haven't been able to find anybody. They've tried Pilat, they've tried Johnson, they've tried Point, uh, to, to work on Not that they've gotten a ton of chances to work on it, but you know, it's just teams don't respect now who's going to be over in that circle. And they're just kind of making sure that they key in on Kucherov and going to make somebody else beat them. So that's where you miss his presence on the power play. And then just his leadership. I mean, look, 2018 series, he scored a huge goal in game three where they were down in the third period after blowing a 2 nothing lead, and he's tied the game in the third period. You know, he has those moments in him. He has that ability in him, and when you're missing it, it it's a huge part of it. Now, the part that I, I will never understand is is some of the, the comments that I see coming from people just piling on him, saying, oh, it's time to get rid of him, uh, need to take the captaincy away from him, it's time to move on. I, I don't understand that. Uh, he's had some traumatic injuries, but to say that he's injury-prone I think is a little unfair to him. Uh, until this year, the only time he'd missed playoff time was in 2016 when he had a blood clot, and the reason he couldn't play wasn't because of the injury. It's because he was on blood thinners, so it wasn't necessarily an injury that kept him out. So um, he's a huge part of this team. He's, he's been a huge part of their success for the past five, six years. There's no doubt you're going to miss him because you have nobody else that can do a lot of the things, not just shooting the puck, but a lot of things that Steven Stamkos brings. Eric, after game one, I jotted down four areas, and some of this I knew beforehand, and I felt this way beforehand, but it was reinforced after watching game one. And one of them was structure, and we talked about that, that the Lightning, I agree with you, the Lightning need to approach this series the same way they did at the start of the Columbus series with that patient approach and making sure they take care of their net first and hopefully the offense will follow. But the three others, and maybe we can break these down with you, I had the Bergeron line and figuring out a way to try and keep them in check best you can, and that was not anything new. Most people understand that if you're going to beat the Bruins, that's a big part of it. The third was special teams, which the Lightning lost the special teams battle again in game one. And the fourth, face-offs, because they struggled – really badly in game one on key face-offs, and that's been an area of concern throughout the playoffs, and you just addressed Stamkos' absence and what that means. I want to start with the special teams and start specifically with the power play. How surprised are you that Sergachev is on that first unit in lieu of Hedman, and 
Do you think that the power play, because the players have said we are generating some chances and we need to get more reps, which is certainly part of it. Do you feel that the power play is close to breaking through or is it not as close as, as we're hearing? I mean, they certainly generated plenty of volume in shot attempts. I think they had 12 power play shot attempts in the second period on their two opportunities uh, in game one. But, you know, a lot of them came from out out at the point, right? Like, I, th- I think you need to – and it's good to have that shot mentality, um, especially against the Bruins. You, you can find yourself some rebounds, especially with Halak. You're not sure where he's at in his game. It certainly looks locked in at this point. But, um, you know, I, I, I want to see them, especially if, they're, if you're going to key on Kucherov, I don't know, maybe feed whoever is over in that left circle and, and see if something can develop out of that or, or work some more plays down low. Uh, I think right now they're relying too much on just shooting and hoping for a deflection or a rebound, uh, and it, it hasn't worked to this point. Um, shot volume is good, but uh, you have to be able to do something with those shots that you get. As far as Sergachev still being on there, I guess I'm not overly surprised just because Sergachev – you know, can do it. We know that he's capable of doing it. At some point in his career, he's going to be doing it on a regular basis. But it's not working right now. You're 0 for 13 here in the playoffs. Maybe maybe go back to Hedman. There's a familiarity with that first unit there uh, because he has ran it for most of the year. We'll see what tonight brings. Um, but the other part of it, not only have they only had 13 opportunities in the, in the playoffs, there hasn't been a lot of practice time to work on it either. Right? They had all those afternoon games, and, and their schedule was really uh, knocked out of kilter. The five-overtime game took away some practice time that they wanted to utilize. So they haven't even had a chance to work on it in practice either. So um, we'll see where it goes. Uh, shot volume is good, but you got to do something with it. Eric Erlinson from LightningInsider.com joins us here on Power Lunch. We're going to use set for Game 2. Tonight, between Tampa Bay and Boston, of course, you can listen to that game right here on Lightning Power Play. E, what can the Sorelli line do to get going again? They haven't been bad in these playoffs. They've had some moments, but not to the degree we've seen before the pause. No, and they have to be better. Um, And to do that, you have to spend more time in the offensive zone. I know you have the defensive assignments, but the best way sometimes, and we've seen this, to make other teams wear down those top lines and they can play on their own end. They don't like playing on their own end. They want to be down on the other end. Um, so you've got to be able to create some zone time, some cycle time, uh, establish some zone presence, some territorial play down there. And I don't think we've seen enough of it. And there's even been some times where as, as strong as Sorelli is defensively, there's been a couple of times where he's been kind of caught out of position and, and kind of, you know, caught puck watching a little bit, which is unusual for him. Uh, so he's, you know, maybe that goal that he scored to tie game five up against Columbus, maybe kind of gives him a boost to kind of get him feeling a little bit better. Uh, but they have to be that uh, they have, they can't just be a defensive line. You know, that's a second line. You've got to find some offense from them. You've got to find some offensive zone time from them. You've got to get Alex Kalorn in positions where you can shoot the puck. Uh, he's had such a great year offensively. You'd like to see him kind of capitalize on that and carry that over uh, into this. Um, they look good, I think, in, in the round-robin situation. But they, they just they just haven't been the same type of dominant potential line uh, here in this series um, or since the playoffs started. And I think we definitely need to see more out of them. You can't just rely on Braden Point and Nikita Kucherov to provide you the offense. Eric, I want to circle back to the Bergeron line and the question that is a tough one to answer because they are one of the best lines in the league and have been one of the best lines in the league for a number of years now. But the Lightning have had success 
in games and certainly in the 2018 series after game one at limiting the damage that line can do. When the Lightning have had success against that line, what has worked? Keep them in their own end, just as I, I said with the Sorelli yeah. line. Make them work in their own end. You know, they're so dangerous. They're, I, I mean, the chemistry between those three guys is just ridiculous, right? Like, you, you look at the Marchand goal. Like, normally a forward in that situation, he's behind the net. McDonough's got the puck going the other way. Normally, they're already starting to make their way back. He didn't. He understood that there was an opportunity with the position that Bergeron was in to, to maybe steal that puck from uh, from McDonough as he did, and then he's in position to make the goal, right? Like, you've got to be aware of how dangerous they are in those type of opportunities. It seems like it's nothing because you've got the puck, but <laughs> that's just how good that line is and how much chemistry they have. So to be able to, to kind of prevent them from making those type of plays and, and, and making those plays in tight, they're, I think they're the best team in the league at making plays in tight down low, is to make them work on their own end. And it's, it's a lot easier said than done for sure. Uh, but you've got to wear them down in, in some ways and, and, and just kind of cycle the puck and not let them feel good about their offensive game because you know they're, so, they're so, just so dangerous uh, in every aspect of the game that uh, if you make them play without the puck, you're in a much better situation. E, does Kucherov have to be more assertive on the power play? Is it as simple as him just ripping it whenever he gets an opportunity to shoot, considering the fact that it has struggled uh, in these playoffs? I think they're two for 18, and the fact that Steven Stamkos isn't there. When you're a little shorthanded from that standpoint, do you have to look to your best player to just be your best player? Well, I, I'd like to see him shoot more to begin with, uh, especially on the power play, um, you know, and not hesitate. Like, he's such a first a play first guy may try and make a play first as opposed to shoot the puck. I think if he gets himself into a situation to where he wants to shoot it a little bit quicker because teams are going to key on him so much now, they're going to really overplay that side of the ice that you're not going to have as much time to get the shot off. So I, I don't know, be a threat more often to shoot the puck or, you know, don't just think fa- pass first every single time. Try and do something. He's, we've seen that one time on work for him over there. It, it can be such a dynamic shot uh, at times. It's almost the same as Stamkos on the other side when he's out there. Uh, so I would like, definitely like to see him put the puck more on net. Uh, he's had some opportunities. I remember a game against Columbus. It was a shot pass. He put right on the stick. Andre Pallotta just fluttered wide on a really good deflection play. Um, but but again, I, I think you know we talk about shot volume. He's got one of the best shots on the team. Use it more often. At least make sure the other team has something to think about rather than overplaying the pass. We touched a little bit earlier on this curious schedule with two back-to-back sets of games in the series. The other one we may get to, we may not. It's between Game 6 and 7. And by the way, the Philly Islander series also has two sets of back-to-backs. Because we're talking about the potential for the Lightning to go with 11 and 7, do you see that as a benefit in a back-to-back because you have the extra defenseman, but you're also taking out a forward? And what that would do is, of course, you could double-shift Kucherov, Point, Johnson, Kalorn, whomever, but that means that those guys are getting more minutes on the front end of a back-to-back. Or would you maybe go with 11-7 and seven in the second half of a back-to-back if you understand that we got through the first game and my forwards are fresh, they're okay, and now I can kind of stress them to try and gain an advantage in terms of matchups in the, in the back end of the back-to-back? Well, we, we know that the, the minutes obviously are heavier on, on D 
Yes. Uh, you know, those guys are playing more minutes. So uh, if you can find a way to keep your D maybe a little bit fresher on uh, the back half, again, going back to the five-overtime game, I know it was a couple weeks ago, but, you know, John Cooper even said late last week that it was still had an effect on them. You know, and you think about the 57 minutes that Hedman played and how many guys played 40-plus minutes. I think if you can keep your D fresher in these circumstances, I think that's the benefit here uh, in these back-to-backs. I know there's no travel involved, but it, it's still a back-to-back situation with heavy minutes, playoff minutes. Um, I think if, if you – that's why I'm intrigued by the seven – you know, potentially going with 7D tonight and, and John Cooper kind of being a little coy about it uh, when he met this morning. Um, I, I think that's the benefit. I, I think you're more apt to, to, to give your D a little bit extra uh, rest if you can, whereas the forwards, you know, their shifts are usually a little, little bit less, uh, usually less physical in some aspects and in terms of their play around the net. So to me, I like the idea of giving your D a little bit more extra rest than your forwards. And then, you know, I've liked this about the 7D situation. You can get Kucherov away from a potential Bergeron matchup. You can get Braden Point away from a potential Bergeron matchup. And sometimes in these games, all it takes is one shift to make a difference. Eric Rollinson joining us here on Power Lunch on Lightning Power Play. E, do you see this series being more physical, and who does that benefit in the long run? Yeah, temp- typically you see series as they get a little bit deeper, and depending on how things go, you, you tend to see some of the physicality um, ramp up. We know that the Bruins want to play that game. Uh, they're probably more suited in some ways to play this game or that style of game. But I think the Lightning want, I think they want to get Boston into that type of game because of the type of roster they have now that maybe they haven't had uh, in the past previous seasons where you can get a Pat Maroon involved, where you can get you know a Barclay Goodrow involved, you know to kind of maybe wear the other team down a little bit. So I think the deeper this series go, the more physicality is going to pick up uh, because I think Tampa Bay knows and, and doing it in the offensive zone especially in the cycle i think that's where tampa bay needs to be more physical and assert themselves from a physical standpoint a little bit more in that end last one for me eric i'm just curious what your thoughts are about the other three series and i think dallas has surprised a lot of people going up 2-0 vegas overwhelmed vancouver and the islanders are showing that they are as tight defensively as any team in the playoffs right now including their opponent which Philadelphia has also played tight defensive hockey so far in the playoffs. Yeah, how about Dallas twice coming back, um, you know, against um, uh, Colorado there, you know, especially as dominant as Nathan McKinnon has been for, for Dallas to find. Dallas, a team that had problems scoring goals, all of a sudden they're just falling out of the sky with goals, literally as that goal went off Alexander Radulov's shoulder uh, last night for the go-ahead goal. Um, that one surprised me. I thought Colorado would be a little bit better, but when you lose your goalie like they did with Philip Grubauer, and boy, that did not look good at all. Uh, out indefinitely is not a good term uh, to hear, so they're going to have to go with Pablo Francis here. Um, so that changes the complexion, I think, of the series a little bit, and, and maybe it gives Dallas an edge, especially now that they're up 2 nothing. And, and this is the strange thing about that series. Okay, Dallas swept Colorado during the regular season. You don't normally see that carry over in the postseason, yet here they are with the first two wins in that. Uh, Vegas is no surprise to me. I, I still think they have the best constructed roster out in the Western Conference. I'd be surprised if they don't get to the Stanley Cup final coming out of the West. And then the Islanders and the Flyers, um, 
I'm actually surprised there were four goals scored last night. I figured once Andy Green scored, that was it. We weren't going to get anything else because the Islanders really go into that protective shell. Uh, and Philly tried to open it up a little bit, uh, but it's tough. That's a tough defense to crack with the Islanders. Um, you know, I caught a lot of fire the other night that uh, they're, they're, they're almost trying to drag the NHL back to the dead puck here. And I guess it's not a coincidence that Lou Lamorello is the general manager there for that. Uh, but their shot suppression is so keen. That is a big part of who they are. They, they sit in that, that shell. They keep all five guys in the hash mark and wait to counterattack. And then they have the, the players that can counterattack with, you know, Barzell and Beauvillier is, is having a great uh, postseason. And, and J.G. Pajot has been a terrific pickup for them. Um, I expect that to still be a low-scoring low series uh, as that one goes on because the Flyers will do the same thing. When they get a lead, they'll go back into that, that shell and just really protect the middle areas of the ice. Hey, last question for me before we let you go. What do you make of the play so far in the bubble? Uh, I've been very impressed, you know, under the circumstances with um, no fans in the stands, no energy to build off of. I mean, watching from home, boy, it, it, it feels like playoff hockey. I, I, I can't sit here and say that it hasn't felt or looked that way uh, in any way. I mean, we had speculated, I know a lot, uh, especially you and me and Greg, when, when we were doing the show about, what kind of hockey were we going to get? Was it going to be fire wagon hockey where we're going to get six, five games? It hasn't been. The teams have been very good uh, at what their strengths are. And we've seen a few games like that, but not a ton. We've seen a lot of one nothing, 2-1, 3-2 games. Uh, and I think that's just a credit to the teams, the coaches, and everything the league has done to be able to put this Stanley Cup tournament on and give the high quality of play that we've seen because I think it has been. We've seen the emotions run high. We've seen a few more fisticuffs than maybe we normally would be, and maybe that gets players involved a little bit more. But uh, I've been very impressed with the quality of hockey that we've seen for teams that have been off for five months going into this. E, great stuff as always, buddy. We'll continue reading your work at lightninginsider.com. Get those people to subscribe and promote the new podcast, please. Yeah, it's, uh, it's six episodes in now. Uh, we'll do another one after the game tonight, so we've been kind of recapping uh, each of the games so it's ready for everybody by the time you head out the door in the morning. And it's uh, just search for Lightning Insider on Apple, on Stitcher. Uh, we're having issues with Google, but it should be up there soon. Um, any, so anywhere you find your podcast, you can find the Lightning Insider podcast. So subscribe, five-star review, uh, everything you got to do. I appreciate the sport, and uh, let's keep it going. Thanks, Eric. Right, buddy. Thanks, E. Appreciate it, buddy. Okay, guys. Appreciate the time. Thanks. You got it, man. That is Eric Erlinson from lightninginsider.com. We will take a quick break. We'll come back, give you our closing thoughts on Game 2 tonight. Again, Ryan McDonough out. No Steven Stamkos. What do you make of Game 2 for the Tampa Bay Lightning? Back after this, he's Dave Michigan. I am Greg Linelli. It is the Power Lunch on Lightning Power Play. The perfect social distancing distraction for your lunch hour. This is Power Lunch, only on Lightning Power Play on the iHeartRadio app. All right, thanks again to Eric Erlinson, Greg Lanelli with you, along with Dave Mishkin. And we're getting you set for Game 2 tonight. Don't forget, we've got all of this uh, great lightning coverage coming up throughout, starting at... Actually, it's 5 o'clock. Let me bring in Steve Versnick. Steve, we're going to be replaying, I believe, as you said, uh, Power Lunch at 5, and then it's going to lead. In, that's going to lead into... Kaylee Chelios and Brian Burns. What is it? The pregame skate show? Is that right? Love that. And then, of course, we have at 6.30 the pregame, 7 o'clock the game call. 
And then the last call afterwards. Yes, with Jason Cullimore again tonight. Cully, 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 Cully. So we have a, a jam-packed show and um, schedule for you, so make sure you check that out uh, today. Dave, before we maybe give some final thoughts on the game tonight, let's take a look back at what happened yesterday in the league, and we can even take a look at the other game going on uh, today. The Islanders blanking the Flyers 4 to nothing. And the Stars down the Avalanche, 5-2. to two. Dallas leads that series 2-0. Um, Pavelski and Radulov getting goals for Dallas. McKinnon had the one goal for Colorado. What did you make of, of those two games? Uh, the Islanders blanking the Flyers. You talk about a team that's got some mojo. Certainly would be the Islanders right now. So to me right now, and we're one game into round two for – both the Flyers and Islanders, the, the difference between the Islanders and the Flyers in their body of work, and the Islanders, of course, had the playing series also where they knocked off the Panthers in four games, 3-1. When both teams get a lead, they have effectively locked it down. The difference is the Islanders have been able to rally in games where they have been down. Yeah. You think about game one against Washington, they're down 2 nothing late second. We talked about the goal that Holtby allowed that was not a great goal, but still mm-hmm. that was one goal. It's still 2-1 Washington going into the third, and the Islanders rallied to win that game. And they were down in game two in that series, too. They gave up a goal in the opening shift to Ovechkin. Now, they didn't trail for as long in game two, but they did trail. And the Flyers have yet to win a game. They haven't lost many. But they have yet to win a game when they have trailed at any point. So all of the games they have won, they have scored first, and they never fell behind. Maybe the other team tied it at some point, but they never fell behind. And I think that that says to me a lot about the Islanders. So they're not just a team that sits back and, you know, Eric talked about the dead puck era. You know, the the mark of those teams – that excelled in that era was like you don't want to fall behind those teams and that's true with the Islanders also but the Islanders have some offensive pop where they can create enough offense to rally if they are down they they are not a one-trick pony is basically what I'm saying and I don't think the Flyers are either but they just haven't shown it yet in this playoff year that they are capable of spotting the other team a lead coming back and winning the game And so let's see what happens if in game two the Flyers get the lead. What will that do to the game? Will the Islanders be able to rally in the Flyers and overtake a deficit, which no other team has been able to do against the Flyers so far in the playoffs? So that that at least at this point is the difference between those two teams for me. Both are very, very structured defensively. But you saw some of the breakdowns the Flyers had in that third period. I mean, Pajot is wide open in front for what turned out to be and that's a huge goal early in the third to make a one nothing game 2 nothing against the Islanders. The way they're Ding up right now, 2 nothing in the third period probably feels like 10 nothing. So that was a breakdown by the Flyers, and they were not making those sorts of mistakes in the games where they were ahead. The Colorado-Dallas series is really intriguing. So Colorado has had some really tough breaks with injuries. Grubauer goes down with what looks to be a significant injury in game one. They were already without Matt Calvert who's an important player on their team. And then Eric Johnson, one of their defensemen, also gets hurt in the first game. So they're without all three of those players 
to start game two. But if you watch the first period of game two, which is what I did, and then I went to sleep <laughs> because the Lightning have a busy schedule coming up here, so I wanted to get some shut-eye. I mean, Colorado dominated that first period last night. And in particular, Nathan McKinnon dominated that first period. He scored. Colorado was up one nothing after one. He could have had three or four goals in the first period. That's how dominant he was. And it was not insignificant that Anton Hudobin was able to make some key saves on McKinnon specifically and on the Avalanche as a whole. And then you look at the box score, and the Avs do actually go up 2 nothing. And how did Dallas get back into the game? They got a 5-on-3, and they cashed in. They scored yeah. in the five on three, and they scored in the five on four, and that's a huge momentum swing. Particularly, your Colorado, you're like, we're dominating the game, we're in good shape, we're up two nothing, and they weren't even up two nothing. I think for a shift, they they took the first penalty that led to the five on three. They would take another penalty shortly thereafter, and when you're Dallas and you're able to battle back to to even after getting pretty decisively outplayed, that can be like a turbo boost of momentum. And by the time the period was up, they were up 4-2. So special teams, and that's what it came down to. Colorado scored in the power play in the first period. So both teams had two power play goals when it was 2-2. But the way Dallas got theirs, I think, had a huge impact on that game. So now Colorado is in a tough spot. We've talked about this, and the Lightning want to avoid this predicament. If they can win tonight, they will. But if you're down 2-0, in a best-of-seven series, it's not undoable. You can come back and win it, but your path has become much more narrow. Now you have to win four of the next five. Can Colorado do it? Sure they can, but they have very little margin for error now, and they're going to have to go the foreseeable future without their number one goalie and without one of the regular defensemen if, if Johnson is unable to come back anytime soon. It's a good point, and as we said before, with the back-to-backs, you have to keep that in mind, and I would expect a pretty inspired Lightning team tonight. We'll see how the injuries uh, play into this game, but I, I think it's a situation where I expect a, a good game from the Tampa Bay Lightning, and we'll see if it's enough for them to even up this series. Dave, great job as always. We'll do it again tomorrow. All right, Greg. Talk to you tomorrow and Dave later Mishkin. tonight. <laughs> you got it. Dave Mishkin right there. Thanks to Steve Ersnick and Eric Rollinson. I am Greg Linelli. We'll be with you for the pregame starting at 6.30, but don't forget, at 5 o'clock, we're going to replay this show all the way to the pregame. We'll have lightning content for you, so make sure you check it out. We appreciate it. All right, everybody, enjoy the game tonight. You can listen to it right here on Lightning Power Play.